Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, Barry Prudhomme, also known as the Phantom in the Forest. But first, your true crime headlines. An Illinois nurse has pled guilty to attempting to hire a hitman to kill the wife of a co-worker with whom she was having an affair. 33-year-old Tina Jones admitted to searching the dark web for a killer for hire and paying them $12,000 in Bitcoin to kill the woman. She provided the would-be hitman with her intended victim's photo and address, as well as the work schedule of the husband and instructions not to harm him. The CBS television show 48 Hours uncovered the murder plot while working on another story on the dark web. They notified authorities who searched Jones's home and computer and found evidence of Bitcoin payments and correspondence between Jones and the company she hired to carry out the hit. That company ended up being a scam, but authorities decided to bring charges against Jones due to the significant effort she put into attempting to arrange the murder. If she had gone to trial and been convicted, Jones would have faced a possible 60-year prison sentence. Under the terms of her guilty plea, she was sentenced to a term of 12 years in prison, of which she must serve at least 85%. A Colorado mother who killed her newborn daughter has been convicted of murder and will now spend the rest of her life behind bars. 25-year-old Camille Wassinger Conrad told police that she did not know that she was pregnant before giving birth to the baby girl on the morning of January 2, 2018. Wassinger Conrad rented a room in a family's home in Highlands Ranch, about 12 miles south of Denver. She said that she woke up in the morning with stomach pains and delivered the baby sometime between 6 and 7 a.m. Fearing that the baby's cries would wake someone, Wassinger Conrad placed her hand over the baby's nose and mouth and took her out to the backyard deck. She then threw the baby over the fence into a neighbor's yard, where her dead body would be found 15 hours later. Co-workers of Wassinger Conrad disputed her claim that she didn't know that she was pregnant, telling investigators that she had discussed her pregnancy at work. Wassinger Conrad was convicted of first-degree murder of a child by a person in a position of trust, first-degree murder after deliberation, and tampering with physical evidence. She will be formally sentenced on November 15th, but her crimes carry a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. A 72-year-old man whose charred remains were found in a dry lake bed in Joshua Tree National Park was killed over a property dispute, according to police, and his stepdaughter is one of the three people charged with his murder. Authorities believe that 44-year-old Hyena Worthington murdered her mother's former husband because he had listed his $2.6 million Marina Del Rey home for sale. The house had been a source of numerous arguments and legal battles since William and Deborah Webb had filed for divorce in 2012 after 15 years of marriage. Two months before his murder, William Webb sought a restraining order against his stepdaughter, claiming that she threatened him and stole paperwork related to the sale of the home. He said that Worthington had the misguided belief that she could force him out of his house so that her mother, who has cancer, would take ownership and that she herself would eventually inherit the multi-million dollar property. Worthington's co-conspirators, 38-year-old John Schieffer and 40-year-old Siobhan Webster, bludgeoned William Webb to death with a hammer, 
killing him inside his home on August 15th. His burned body was found the next day in Joshua Tree National Park, about 150 miles from the home. Worthington has been charged with murder and is being held on $2 million bail. She faces a maximum sentence of 25 years to life in prison. Her co-conspirators are also being held on $2 million bail. Their arraignments are scheduled for September 9th, and they each face a maximum sentence of 26 years to life in prison. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Barry Prudhomme. But first, a quick break. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Barry Prudhomme, also known as the Phantom in the Forest. Barry Prudhomme was born in Leeds, England, on October 18, 1944, to single mother Kathleen Edwards. Barry never met his father Peter, who was a soldier serving with the British Army, and had no interest in Barry's upbringing. In 1949, when Barry was five, his mother married Alex Prudhomme, and Barry was soon sent away to an approved school, similar to a boarding school. Approved schools were a type of residential school for boys who were out of control and in need of reform and strict discipline. After Barry left school, he became an apprentice to an electrician. And in 1965, 21-year-old Barry Prudhomme married 19-year-old Gillian Wilson. The couple went on to have two children, a boy and a girl. In 1969, Barry Prudhomme enlisted with the Special Air Service in Leeds, part of the Army's Volunteer Territorial Force. The SAS unit specialized in covert surveillance, reconnaissance, and stay-behind operations. But after training with the group for some time, Barry was rejected after reportedly failing the final initiative test. During the selection phase, Barry's superiors determined that he was unfit to serve due to his temperament and aversion to discipline. Following this failure, Barry Prudhomme resigned himself to being a grocer and purchased a shop for his wife in Leeds. But by 1977, he took work in Saudi Arabia, working for the petroleum industry in the oil fields, as the pay was too good to turn down. But while Barry was away working to support his family, his wife was sleeping with another man. Jillian sent Barry a Dear John letter, informing him that she was leaving, and the couple soon divorced. To add insult to injury, when Barry returned to England, he found that his ex-wife had drained their bank account of £8,000. Over the next few years, Barry began dating a woman named Carol Francis, and the two traveled together as Barry followed the work on oil rigs around the United States and Canada. 
But in January of 1982, Barry Prudhomme was arrested in Wakefield, West Yorkshire, when he assaulted a motorist, beating him with an iron bar. He gave the police an alias, Barry Edwards, and subsequently failed to show up to court to answer bail for his assault charge, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. He was now wanted by police. Carol left Barry and moved out of their house in Leeds. Abandoned again, Barry Prudhomme was about to snap. On June 17, 1982, a police officer, 29-year-old David Hay, was given the routine task of serving a summons to a poacher in Washburn Valley. When Hay failed to respond to a radio call from the station, another officer was dispatched to check on his whereabouts. PC Mark Clipston drove to Washburn Valley. There, he found an abandoned patrol car at a picnic area. The door was still open. Clipston approached. On the ground, next to the patrol car, lay the body of David Hay, killed by a 22 caliber bullet to the head. Clipston radioed for help. An investigation of the scene found a clipboard under Hay's body. On it was a date of birth, a name, and a car registration number. An investigation was launched. The registration number recorded by Hay was traced to a metallic green Citroen. The car had been sold by its previous owner in January. It was a cash sale to a man who did not give the owner his name. A witness soon reported to police that they saw such a car near the picnic area on the day in question. Two days later, on June 19th, a green Citroen was found in a cornfield 25 miles away. It was burned out and abandoned. Barry Prudhomme was on the run. He had shot David Hay and driven away, ditching the Citroen and hitchhiking back to the nearest town, Torxi. Barry Prudhomme took advantage of the fact that police were still unaware of his identity. On June 20th, after keeping a low profile for three days, Barry broke into the home of 75-year-old Frida Jackson. He tied her up and stole £4.50 from her and fled. It would take three days for police to connect the robbery with the murder. On June 23rd, Barry Prudhomme broke into another home, this time eight miles away in Nottinghamshire. Barry Prudhomme tied George Luckett, 52, and his wife, Sylvia, 50, to a chair. The couple were tied together at the elbows, and Barry shot each of them in the head. He then stole the Luckett's car 
a brown rover and fled. George Luckett was killed instantly. But Sylvia miraculously survived. After Barry left, Sylvia struggled to untie her arms from her husband. She freed herself from her bindings and managed to drag herself to the neighbor's home. They called the police. When police arrived on the scene, they hoped to find an eyewitness in Sylvia Luckett. But tragically, Sylvia had suffered permanent brain damage from the injury and had no memory of the attack. Police in Nottinghamshire connected the robbery to the one in Torxey and concluded that the same man must be responsible and likely the killer of David Hay. Three police forces were now working together to track down Barry Prudhomme. They put out a warning to all patrols to keep an eye out for a brown rover. Barry drove the Luckett's car several miles to the densely wooded area of Dalby Forest. Along the way, Barry realized that the Luckett's bodies would soon be discovered and that police would be looking for their brown rover. So Barry Prudhomme pulled over at his first opportunity and switched the license plates with a parked car. The next day, on June 24th, Barry Prudhomme was pulled over by an officer named Ken Oliver as part of a routine check. Oliver asked the driver to step out of the car. Excuse me, sir, out of the car, said Ken Oliver. Nothing. He added, I don't tell anybody twice, out of the car, now. Barry Prudhomme opened fire. The first shot struck Oliver in the face. Oliver's police dog attacked Prudhomme. As Prudhomme turned his gun on the dog, shooting him twice, Oliver ran for cover to a nearby holiday cottage where two little girls were playing with their grandfather shouting, I'm a policeman and I've been shot. Barry Prudhomme continued to fire, shooting Ken Oliver seven times. But Ken Oliver survived. The dog also survived. After smashing the radio in the police car and setting fire to the rover, Prudhomme fled into the forest. Ken Oliver called in the location, and a massive manhunt began. 1,000 police officers and marksmen marched into the forest. Helicopters circled overhead. But there was no sign of Barry Prudhomme. Day after day, they searched. Barry was in hiding. Using some of the skills that he had learned in SAS training to evade capture. It took the police four days to figure out who they were chasing. Then came a breakthrough. On June 28th, police cross referenced the information found on David Hayes' clipboard with police records. 
From the date of birth on the clipboard, police turned up the name Barry Edwards, who had an outstanding warrant for an assault charge. When police searched the apartment at the address found on the records, they determined that Barry Edwards was an alias for Barry Prudhomme, a man known to them as a keep-fit fanatic, obsessed with weapons and the military. Through a search of the home, they also found a book called No Need to Die, a manual on survival techniques written by Eddie McGee. Ken Oliver soon confirmed that Barry Prudhomme was his attacker when he identified him from a photograph. Police then further solidified the identification when they lifted his fingerprints from the burned-out vehicle. Ballistic tests then confirmed that the same gun had been used in the murders of Hay and Luckett. The Phantom finally had a name. But police were no closer to capturing Barry Prudhomme. On June 28th, 12 days into their search, Barry Prudhomme was suddenly seen walking in the town of Malton. Sergeant David Winter and Constable Mick Wood were on patrol when they spotted him. Sergeant Winter confronted him. Barry Prudhomme shot Winter three times. The final shot was fired into his head at point-blank range. He then opened fire on a group of BBC News crew and a Guardian journalist and fled through an alley. Police responded to the incident by ordering the largest arsenal of weapons ever issued to a British police force and sealed off the town. Two days later, Barry Prudhomme was still at large and police decided to contact Eddie McGee, author of the survival book found in Barry Prudhomme's home, to see if he could assist them. Eddie McGee himself joined the search. Eddie McGee was former SAS himself and had 22 years of service under his belt. McGee was a former paratrooper and experienced tracker. He had learned his tracking skills from the indigenous Aboriginal people in Australia. Eddie McGee was everything Barry Prudhomme wished he was. Barry had even attended some of McGee's courses. The man who literally wrote the book on the tactics that Barry Prudhomme had been using for weeks to avoid capture was now heading up the manhunt. With the help of McGee, police tracked Barry Prudhomme for hours. Although they believed that the killer may still be hiding in town, police reported to the media that they were searching for Prudhomme in Dalby Forest. We wanted him to believe that we were seeking him elsewhere, Inspector Peter Walker later explained. The safety of the public was uppermost in our minds. The media reports were invaluable, 
because they led Prudhomme to believe that the hunt was concentrated outside the town. But Barry Prudhomme was not in Malton. For several days, he hid in the countryside outside of town. But on July 3rd, perhaps driven by hunger, Barry Prudhomme broke into the home of Maurice Johnson, his wife Bessie, and their son, Brian. For 11 hours, Barry Prudhomme held the Johnson family hostage. That night, Barry made himself dinner and chatted away with the family. He described the meal to them as his last supper and established a strange relationship with the Johnsons over the course of the evening. Brian Johnson later recalled in an interview, As the night went on, we got talking as though we had known each other for years. He was calling me Brian, and my father he was calling Dad. At 3.15 a.m., Barry Prudhomme gave Brian a present, a U.S. paratrooper's ring. Promise me that you will wear it, he told Brian. Brian replied, Yes, I will. Barry Prudhomme tied the family up and left. By now, Barry had become aware of Eddie McGee's involvement in the manhunt from television reports, so he began to lay a false trail from the Johnson house to throw him off the scent. He then headed back and took up a hiding spot just 300 yards from the police station where McGee was overseeing the manhunt. Two hours later, the Johnsons had managed to untie themselves, and Maurice Johnson called the police. At first, McGee followed the trail set by Barry leading away from the Johnson home. But then, he noticed disturbances in the dew on the grass leading another direction. McGee was soon leading a police firearm squad around the back of the tennis club, where Barry Prudhomme was hiding behind some pine fencing against a wall. Barry Prudhomme was surrounded, and police told him to give himself up. After receiving no answer, they threw stun grenades into Prudhomme's hiding place, hoping to take him alive. A single gunshot rang out from inside the makeshift shelter. Police opened fire and stormed the location. Inside, police found the body of Barry Prudhomme. On July 4, 1982, the phantom in the forest died hiding behind a fence. A post-mortem showed a total of 21 shotgun wounds on Barry Prudhomme's body, but none with sufficient velocity to enter the body cavity. Another shotgun pellet was found to have entered his forehead, which, if he had been alive when it struck him, would have been fatal. But the self-inflicted wound to Barry Prudhomme's right temple was determined to be the fatal shot. 
It was fired from the same weapon that killed victims Hay, Lockett, and Winter. A 22 caliber Beretta, which Barry Prudhomme had purchased in the United States and smuggled back into Britain. Barry Prudhomme's cause of death was ruled suicide. He is buried in an unmarked grave in Hare Hill Cemetery in Leeds. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.